Welcome to the Fierce Kind Mama of Multiples podcast. This podcast is for anyone raising multiples, twins, triplets, or more. I speak to inspiring parents of multiples who have healed from unexpected pregnancies and birthing experiences and who candidly share the highs and lows of raising multiples. I also speak to the professionals that work with multiple birth families. Together, we cover the practicalities of raising more than one baby at a time, as well as enhancing the emotional well-being of caregivers and children alike. Come join us as we laugh, cry, and share our personal and professional wisdom on all things multiples. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Cavetza, and I am a fierce, kind mama of multiples. Welcome to today's episode. Today, I want to talk about the notion of independence. What does it mean to be independent? How do we learn independence? And is it necessary or even achievable to be completely independent? And I want to talk about this from the perspective of parents or mothers more specifically, as well as from the perspective of the child. And what got me thinking about this topic was actually a question I received from a listener. She wrote to me and said, I'm a single mother with three kids. I have four-year-old twins and another school-aged child, and my four-year-old twins still sleep in my room. She then said that when the educators at childcare found out that her four-year-old still shared a room with her, they thought that was a bit unusual. And in her words, she felt judged by them. She was wondering if it was, and I'll put this in air quotes, she wondered if it was normal for her four-year-olds to be sleeping in her room. So this got me thinking about a few things, about infant and childhood sleep, uh, and the push in many Western cultures for independent sleepers. Like, where does that come from? Is it rooted in science as being better for children and adults? Is it a social construct? So in other words, does it vary across cultures and historical contexts? And if so, then what does it mean to be an independent sleeper or just independent? Like, is it necessary? Is it achievable? Now, I may be the wrong person to ask about independence in the context of childhood sleep. I am not a childhood sleep expert by any means. And I also say this because at the time that I'm recording, I have seven-year-old twins who still sleep in their parents' room. And often one of us ends up sleeping in one bed with one child and the other parent sleeps with the other child in the other bed, all in the same room. Now, I know that many of you listening to this might be thinking, you must have a really big bedroom. <laughs> And yes, to some degree we do, like for good or bad, it is in fact large enough to fit our bed as well as two single floor beds for the kids. And we have very little other furniture in there. And so I realized that, you know, many listeners, many of you who are listening will have more than two children and will most likely not be able to fit all of your kids in one giant room. But I also realized that there might be many of you who think that it's really unconventional and even undesired, like a seven-year-old shouldn't, and I put that in air quotes too, a seven-year-old shouldn't have to sleep 
in the same room as their parents. Like he or she should be able to fall asleep independently and stay in their own room. And I know for many parents that it's actually really undesirable to have their kids in the same room. I acknowledge that even thought of having school-aged kids still coming into your bed every night might be off-putting for some. And I won't lie, I have grappled with the same issue for a few years now. In our family, we have tried all sorts of sleeping arrangements over the years. And right now, the easiest routine that we have found is to be close to one another. The question that I'm interested in as a science practitioner is, am I ruining my children because I allow them to remain close to me at night? Or like this person who wrote to me and asked about her four-year-old twins, is she doing something wrong? Like, is it bad that her four-year-old children still sleep in her bedroom? And, you know, some parents who grapple with this, they might be thinking, am I setting my kids up to be dependent adults who won't be self-sufficient or resilient? And in the case of the person who wrote to me, the listener, some parents might even be thinking, am I doing something wrong? So... I decided to turn to the research and more specifically to historical and cultural practices because I think the reality is that any behavior that we deem as a society to be wrong or right or good or bad needs to be seen in a specific cultural and historical context. What I find really interesting is that how we sleep in terms of with whom and where has evolved over time and across cultures. So in the 5th to 15th centuries, in most of medieval Europe, sleeping was largely communal. It was super common to have many people sleeping in the same bed. Even people from different families would often share beds and bedrooms. It was seen as a way to share space, to increase personal security, and even just to simply keep warm. Later than in the like 15th to 17th centuries, particularly in the British Isles, household beds began to be seen as important and reserved for those that could afford them. So while entire households of European peasants still occasionally shared beds, in Western contemporary industrialized cultures, we were moving towards this idea that sleep ought to be an individual and private experience. And the thinking around this was that being alone was actually more conducive to getting optimal rest and recovery. During the Victorian era in particular, around the early 1800s to 1900s, they began questioning the practice of having many sleeping bodies sharing a single bed. There were concerns about incest and promiscuity. And so social norms and dictates began to shift where each person ought to have their own bed that was in a private, not public space, and that he or she ought to wear appropriate clothes for the purpose of sleeping. So here we see the rise in private bedrooms. And what happened in most Western industrialized cultures was that the availability of an individual sleeping space became a sign of wealth and prosperity. And of course, our medical and scientific understanding of sleep developed as well. And there was greater understanding of the risks of 
parent-child co-sleeping in terms of SIDS and sudden infant death syndrome, that is. And research has shown that parents that choose to co-sleep with their children are sometimes seen as being negligent or selfish, and that can lead to feelings of embarrassment, shame, or stigma. Now, I'm not going to advocate for one approach or another when it comes to close sleeping with your children. I will leave that up to the sleep experts to give you individual advice about what is best for your family when it comes to whether or not you should co-sleep with your children. And there are many guidelines around safe sleeping practices for infants and children. What I will say is that parental bedtime behaviors can be grouped, if you like, into five types or categories. The first is active physical comforting, like cuddling or rocking. The second is encouraging autonomy. So this might look like offering children a special toy or blanket as a sleep aid. The third might be settling with some form of movement, like walking your children in a pram or a stroller to encourage sleep. The fourth is more passive forms of physical comfort, like lying next to your children's bed. And the last might be what we'd call social comforting, which might involve reading a bedtime story. Now, the use of such bedtime practices typically varies depending on our children's needs and age. We might cuddle or rock our children when they are infants, but we are probably using other practices like lying near our children, or reading them a bedtime story when they're a bit older. I think, though, it's really important to note here that there's a strong influence of society, culture, and ethnicity in terms of values, expectations, and practices. What we define as normal versus problematic in terms of sleeping arrangements really depends on where we've come from, what we've been exposed to, and the messages we receive from those around us. Co-sleeping is one of the most common bedtime parental behaviors in the majority of cultures around the world, but it is still considered relatively controversial in Western cultures. So going back to the question that I've received from a listener around, you know, am I doing something wrong if I allow my four-year-olds to share my bedroom? And then I think we need to understand the social and historical context in which that question is being asked. Most parents I meet today would say, your four-year-olds are old enough to sleep independently. You just need to be firm, set appropriate boundaries, and it might take time, but they'll get there. They are perfectly able to fall asleep on their own and stay in their own bed all night. Decisions around co-sleeping, as I've already mentioned, varies greatly, though, among cultures. And in some cultures, even today, no child or adult sleeps alone. It's not uncommon to have grandparents sleeping with other adults and even visitors, like for all of them to sleep together. In fact, the vast majority of adults in Western post-industrial societies do not sleep alone. So despite different sleep patterns or requirements, like some adults may snore or have restless legs or one may want a warm blanket, whereas the partner doesn't and so on, despite some couples being very different in their sleep patterns and needs, they continue to co-sleep. Why? That begs the question, right? Why? Because 
Co-sleeping in couples tends to be associated with intimacy, companionship, trust, vulnerability, and a feeling of being together, being connected. Hi there, fierce kind mama. Are you expecting multiples and wondering how you're going to cope when the babies arrive? Or do you already have multiples at home and wonder, will this ever get easier? First of all, let me say loud and clear, I get it. Feeling overwhelmed in motherhood is really common. And us mothers of multiples are particularly prone to feeling sometimes like it's all too much. I know for myself that becoming a first-time mother to twins at the age of 40 was a huge adjustment physically and psychologically. So I've taken my years of training in mental health and my experience coaching mothers of multiples and put together a guide with my five top tips for overcoming overwhelm as a multiple birth parent. This guide is free, of course, and it doesn't matter what age multiples you have. You may be pregnant or your multiples might have already left home. The principles apply to all parents of multiples. And because I know you're short on time, I've broken down the tips into easy to read chunks that you can begin implementing straight away. You can get your free copy now by signing up at my website, fiercekindmama.com. When it comes to parents close sleeping with their children, we see lots of contention, right? At one extreme, we see leading health organizations saying there are real health risks like sudden infant death syndrome, like SIDS, while other experts will say that there are ways to mitigate those risks, like using appropriate bedding and having parents and children in the same room, but not necessarily in the same bed. And these experts would say that from an infant mental health perspective, as well as from ease of just the perspective of feeding, the ease of feeding, that it can be really beneficial to have that closeness with your baby or babies at night. Wherever you and your family lies on this continuum, or whatever your own personal beliefs are about this contested issue, it is the norm in many cultures to sleep with children from birth, particularly in Indigenous, unindustrialized societies. We also see intergenerational co-sleeping in some cultures, particularly in collectivist Asian countries. It is true that the presence of another individual in your bed or bedroom may have a negative effect on your sleep quantity and quality, okay? So in other words, you might not get as much sleep or as sound asleep if you share your bed or your bedroom with someone else. And this applies to both having another adult or a child or children in your room or your bedroom. So in my view, it really is an individual family's choice. What I'm more interested in is the notion that we need or we ought to or we should be encouraging independent sleeping in our children. Like, where does that come from? That if my child can't sleep on his or her own, that that means he or she won't develop independence. We've already acknowledged that most adults don't sleep on their own. They're often sharing their bed with another adult or even a pet. So what does that mean about our capacity as adults to be independent? I think that in the context in which I live, that is in an industrialized Western society, you know, we place a lot of importance on independence, right? On being self-reliant and productive. And I think back to some of my learnings, particularly in a specific treatment modality called compassion-focused therapy, which I won't go into all the theory behind that now, but what I will say is that from that perspective, humans are all born with an innate desire or tendency to want to be nurtured 
and to nurture others. As soon as you're born, your primary goal really is to be cared for, to be loved, to be looked after. And as you develop and individuate from your caregivers and you gain more autonomy, most people develop a desire to nurture something else. Okay, this might take the form of caring for your own children, but it might also be wanting to care for your elderly parents, or maybe you choose to help others through your profession or volunteering. Maybe you just want to take care of the environment. Basically, what I'm saying here is we are meant to be in close proximity with others. From an evolutionary perspective, we are designed and built to live in social groups, not in isolation. So dependence and interconnection is a defining feature of being human. We learn how to survive only through being in contact with other humans. We are able to find food, shelter, and protection only through cooperating with others. So in other words, the irony of independence is that we only learn to be autonomous individuals from the social groups that we live in and rely on. Even as adults, we are inherently dependent on one another. We are living longer, and as we age, we become more and more reliant on others to help us, and in some cases, even to attend to our needs on a regular basis. Even in our workplaces, right, where our actions have a ripple effect, we do not work or live in isolation. We need each other to function well. And this applies to the practice of mothering or child-rearing too. I think we sometimes equate our self-worth by how much we can achieve on our own, like being independent and doing the bulk of the child rearing and domestic labor is seen as, it's kind of put on this pedestal like you're a super mom, right? You're just, it's the pinnacle of good mothering. But I question this. I question the need for mothers and for children to be independent. I think it depends on what we mean by that. I think we do ourselves and our children a real disservice when we push really hard for independence and we think we're failing or we feel bad when we need to ask for help or when we need to rely on others. There is no shame in asking for help. And I would take it one step further and say, there's no shame in being dependent on another person either. In fact, our very existence is contingent on how well we support one another, how interdependent we are. So going back to the question that I received, about sharing a room with your four-year-old twins. In my view, a child who needs help to fall asleep or desires comfort, closeness, warmth, that child is not bad and the parent is not doing anything wrong by providing their children comfort and closeness at night. As long as those sleeping practices are safe, according to the established guidelines, then I think it's super important that the child and his or her parents know they don't need to feel shame or embarrassment for needing or wanting help at nighttime, or really at any time. And at the same time, there may be very good reasons for why a family chooses for children and adults to sleep separately. It might be that sleeping in a private room means everyone gets a better sleep. And there are certainly many examples of adults who prefer to sleep alone, even if that isn't the norm. What I want to reassure you listening and the person that wrote to me who asked the question and to anyone else who's in a similar position. In fact, perhaps this entire episode 
has also been about reassuring myself and my children that striving for independence may not be necessary. As an adult and as a mother, I don't need to do everything on my own. In fact, trying to do so may actually be to my detriment and to the detriment of my children. And equally so, my children don't need to do everything on their own. We can be dependent on one another and we can still be successful and live productive, healthy lives, whatever that looks like for you. So I hope that this was useful to you and gave you something to mull over and reflect on in terms of both your child-rearing practices and your expectations of yourself and your children. One of the most important lessons that I think I've learned as a mother is to not rush my children's development. And even in those times when I wish they would do more for themselves, I really try to strive for a balance between encouraging some level of autonomy that is appropriate for where they're at developmentally. And I also like to remind myself that it's okay for me to be dependent too. Even as an adult, being 100% self-reliant is an unattainable target. And if I can accept my children's dependence, then I can accept my own too. And my wish for you is that you too find solace knowing that you are not alone and you do not need to do everything on your own and you don't need to force your children to do everything on their own either. So thank you for joining me today and I hope you found something from today's episode that resonated with your own experience or that made you reflect on your own behavior and expectations of yourself or your kids. If you have any questions that you'd like me to address on this podcast, please don't hesitate to contact me. You can email me at hello at fiercekindmama.com. Take care, and we'll see you back here real soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you've heard, then please follow and leave a review so that other expectant and current parents of multiples like yourself can find this podcast and the valuable information it contains. I'd be so very grateful if you left a review and shared this with anyone you think could benefit from listening. If you have a particular topic you'd like me to cover on this podcast, feel free to reach out to me via my website, fiercekindmama.com. New episodes are released every second Wednesday, so I'll see you back here real soon. Any advice and information in this podcast is general only and has been prepared without taking into account your particular circumstances and needs. For tailored, individualized advice, please consult with a qualified professional.